check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Hello, Anna Geiger here from The Measured Mom, and I'm really excited today to bring you an interview with Dr. Sharon Vaughn. Not only is she a brilliant educator and teacher, she's also a wonderfully kind and generous person, as I'm sure you'll see from this interview. I learned about Dr. Vaughn through some books that she's read, but in particular through an excellent presentation she gave for the International Dyslexia Association, all about building comprehension. She gets right to the point. She's also entertaining, easy to listen to. I know you're going to like this interview a lot, and I'm excited to get right into it. This is the last of our old and new podcast summer series. Let's get started. Welcome, Dr. Vaughn. Well, hello. How are you? Very good. And thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today about comprehension, which is kind of a sticky topic for people that are trying to learn more about the science of reading. It's hard to comprehend comprehension, isn't it? This It is. <laughs> uh, which, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into education and where you are now? Yeah, I think I can. So um, I'm a first generation college graduate. Hmm. So um, and I grew up in St. Louis. And um, I grew up across the street from what used to be a psychiatric hospital. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, they almost don't exist anymore, right? Right. So um, there was a large grounds and largely so that people could walk around. And, you know, I think it was supposed to be sort of refreshing, you know, to be able to be outside. But um, because it was across the street from where I lived, it was also a nice playground. So I would go there and... Um, look at, you know, um, the range of people mm -hmm. and interesting people and people that would, some of them talking to themselves, but there was also a school on the grounds. And I kind of just sort of got interested in the fact that there is so much variation in the way we all develop. Mm -hmm. And I then decided to be a teacher and then I got really interested in um, variation in the way kids learn. And then I got really interested in reading. And so that's how I got where I'm at right now. It's a long story. And you are, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Right now, I work at the University of Texas at Austin as a professor. And I also am the executive director of the Meadows Center for Preventing Educational Risk, which is a center that really does a bridge between research and practice. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. So there, I noticed that whenever I try to get a definition of comprehension, there's no like agreed upon definition. We've kind of agreed on fluency, but comprehension is a little more complex. So could you explain to us how you define it and maybe talk a little bit about why it's so tricky to nail that down? I think one of the reasons comprehension is so tricky is because most of us think of comprehension as something that we teach much like we teach phonemic awareness or something we teach like we teach the components of phonics. Mm -hmm. And so I think what's tricky is that we don't realize that comprehension is a product, it's an outcome. It's what we get when we do all of the necessary things. So if students can read the words, we teach students how to read words, they're on the pathway to comprehension. If we teach students what the words mean, so they understand the meaning and therefore can derive meaning from text, they're on the pathway. 
if we teach students background knowledge so they have a context for understanding how to put the word reading and word meaning together, they're on the pathway to comprehension. So comprehension really is a result of teaching well those components of learning and reading that should be part of what we do all the time. Yeah, and I think, I think what we're hearing now, people are saying you can't actually teach comprehension. How would you respond to that? Um, I think you can teach students to comprehend. I think there's evidence that you can. Mm -hmm. Now, if what people are saying is that we don't teach comprehension directly, we teach it indirectly, then I agree. Okay. But if what they're saying is that we should give up on teaching comprehension because it's not possible, then I don't agree. So um, the way to think about this is that if we teach students these really important things like word reading, word meaning, background knowledge, we give students an abundance of opportunities to read a range of texts, I can just tell you what we have to do to promote comprehension becomes less of a lift. Hmm. And so then we're not so much focusing on all these strategies. Anna, you know how people are like, oh, we have to teach them strategies um, before they can learn to comprehend. Actually, I'm not sure that's true. Mm -hmm. That would be kind of, as some people would call it, I've heard it called a balanced literacy hangover, where we thought that for years we had to just teach a reading comprehension strategy for a period of weeks and then apply that to all different kinds of text. So for example, like making predictions or comparing and contrasting. And now we're finding that we really need to focus on the text and then the, the strategies are in service of the text. Would you agree with that? I think the strategies are in service of the text. Um, but I don't like these simple statements. I mean, is that probably true? Yes. But is that all we need to know? No. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think when we make statements like that, we are often encouraging people to say to themselves, text matters. And you want to think about when you're teaching students that particularly have reading difficulties, that a range of texts are necessary. Like they need to have chance to read easier texts. They need to read texts on their level. But also, Anna, they need to read harder texts, texts mm -hmm. that are like above their level. And especially if they have um, supports from teachers, um, they also need to read um, texts that cover a range of genres. So you want them to read like these hybrid texts, like biographies that are a combination of information and narrative. You want them to read different types of narrative texts, and you want them to read really sort of enriching um, information texts and not just older readers. You know, the fun thing that students love is to learn facts and to learn mm -hmm. information. And, you know, sometimes it's about spiders or sometimes it's about everything you want to know about how something moves. But the, these kinds of information texts can be extremely valuable. So... You make a good point about how we don't want teachers to give up on comprehension. I think, unfortunately, some people are sort of 
feeling like that's where they're landing because they don't have the tools to scaffold com complex text and things. And in your presentation, you really broke a lot of that down. So maybe we can start with comprehension, or sorry, background knowledge. And could you maybe help us know what we know about background knowledge from research first? Yeah. I mean, have you kind of noticed that that's really like popular right now for people to talk about background knowledge? Big time. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like, well, is this really an invention, you know? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't background knowledge always been important? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes. Um, and so maybe the question is like, why is it important now and what do we mean by it? Um, so maybe a way to think of it is like this. Um, when it comes to the science of reading, people really have the most confidence about the science of reading as it relates to teaching students how to read. And so those beginning grades when we're really teaching these foundation skills, our knowledge there is very firm. Yep. You know, and so some of the silly things like triple queuing that people are doing <laughs> have been disproven for a long time. Mm -hmm. And the notion that these are persisting is really just a function of the fact that people are um, propagating ideas that are maybe fun for them. They like the idea of pointing at pictures and having people guess, but they are really um, harmful to students in that if that's all you do and you don't teach them how to read the words, you've really done a disservice. So th those foundation skills are well established. But I think one of the reasons background knowledge has sort of gotten such a big lift is because after we teach students to read, what we've observed is that as students get older, they do not understand what they're reading. Mm -hmm. And so we've accomplished a big part of the goal, but not all of the goal. And the reason that's the case is because as we teach students to read, we also have to give them access to a lot of texts and we have to give them opportunities to participate in a lot of knowledge acquisition. Mm -hmm. Because if they have very narrow opportunities to read and very narrow opportunities to learn, whether it's about history or science, social studies, whatever, when they then begin to read these more complex texts, I mean, comprehension isn't an issue when you're seven years old. Mm -hmm. And the reason it's not is because everybody knows what a blue hat is, and they all know what a car is, and that it is moving down the road. So mm -hmm. when you ask questions, background knowledge doesn't play the same role. Yep. But as students get older, and then these texts get really complicated, and even people like you and I have to read them a couple of times. Because, you know, the, the density of the topic, the vocabulary, the, it, what we're talking about, which is the more you know about a topic, the more you are able to learn about a topic. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like Velcro. Like you can start collecting more knowledge, and before you know it, you can assemble a huge knowledge bank. And then when you go to read about black holes, it's not hard because you already know a lot about black holes and you're just now accumulating bits of information you didn't know. Then you read the next thing about black holes and before you know it, you can read very complex things. So that's kind of how it all has to roll. Yeah, and that's really interesting. I remember when my youngest was learning to read, um, I was using decodable books with him on his own, but he would start to branch out and read these um, 
if you uh, who would win books i don't know if you've heard of those before but they're like two animals that meet together that probably wouldn't meet together in nature and then you read like they each have these different abilities or you know parts of their body that would help them win and he could really work pretty well through those because he had heard so many of them and he had a lot of the background knowledge but you know take some of those harder words in a different book they may have been tougher for him so i understand what you're saying about how the more you know about something the easier the text is that's super helpful that you gave that example because I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to that. And and it's also what you might notice with your son is that if he's interested in something, if it's a topic that, you know, he's interested in airplanes and all of a sudden what he's reading is about airplanes, he can read harder information a harder text. And he can read harder text because he's engaged, motivated and has background knowledge. So the level of text we can read really depends on both interest and uh, background knowledge. And then we think about, you know, when we have a text that we want the whole class to read together, you know, a more challenging text we're working on, and yet the topic is not something that many of our students have background knowledge on. I think as a teacher, I was often under this idea that it was always about activating prior knowledge versus building knowledge before we read the new text. I think you talked about that in your presentation about how to actively build background knowledge before reading with a class. Can you talk about some of those things? Yeah, I mean, um, so one of the things we have thought a lot about is what we kind of think of as like a springboard for reading comprehension. And the springboard is, are there essential words? Um, are there essential ideas? Is there an overarching construct that if we can introduce, pre-teach, and provide information about prior to reading, can that serve as a springboard to make the understanding of the text they're reading more approachable? And so um, we've been doing quite a bit of work in that area. And as it turns out, even three to five minute springboards can really help students construct a better understanding or comprehension of what they read. So an example for that would be like um, watching a short YouTube video that explains yeah. the topic real briefly. Yeah. Um, what a great example. That's exactly what we do. You know, two, three minute videos, not long, mm -hmm. not 50 minute vid videos. You know, sometimes it's showing pictures. Yeah. You know, here's a picture of an iceberg. Here's a picture of a igloo. The story we're reading about today is gonna to focus on an iceberg and an igloo. And so what are some of the features of these? It, see what I'm saying? It takes a couple mm -hmm. minutes. Yep. It just really helps kids kind of prime what they know and build what they don't know. Now, I wanna say something because when we talk about background knowledge, what a lot of people think that means is that we say to students, take a look at the pictures and tell me what you know about this. Yes, that's what I used to always do. <laughs> it took so much time too. <laughs> it takes so much time. And here, Anna, is what happens. The students who know something about it get to say what they know about it. The students who don't know anything about it ha often say things and they may not relate to what they're about yeah. to read. But we don't have enough time to correct and provide feedback 
And so then they get confused. Right. And so this guessing and this kind of, if you will, idea popping, when we don't have adequate time as teachers to sort out accurate, inaccurate, what you're going to learn, what you're not going to learn, serves to add to confusion. So I don't think it's a particularly good practice. And I would advocate for something more like springboards. Yeah. So instead of making a giant list of all the things our students say they know about a topic, having yeah. an active plan to build comprehension for three to five minutes as a, like you said, a springboard into the, into the passage. That was a good summary. You've been doing this happened here for a while. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, why is it important for students to set a purpose for reading? I know as a teacher that was always told to me to be important and I, I, I didn't really even know what to do with that exactly. Can you help us with that one? Yeah. Um, I am not sure I know what you do when you set a purpose for reading. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, I think maybe what the idea is, is that intentionality and goal setting will help you regulate your behavior. So if I say, you know, I have three questions that I'm going to answer at the end of this passage, and here's the three questions. I have a purpose. I'm going to read knowing what those questions are. Okay. Um, and for information, text, or learning, that might be a very good practice to put in place. But I think and I, most of the time when we read, we don't really say, what's my purpose? Mm -hmm. I mean, your purpose is always understanding or learning. Right. I think... Um, the idea, though, is that when students are reading deliberately and something we expect them to learn from a member, we might ask them to look at questions or develop questions so they have a purpose for reading. Yeah. And like you said, it makes a difference in what text you're reading. So if you're just reading a chapter book from a series that you've read a million times, you know, you're just reading for fun. But um, when you're reading a hard textbook, you read differently, you read more slowly, you read more... You reread if you didn't understand something. So just maybe helping them understand that the type of text you're reading requires different amounts of attention mm -hmm. would be helpful. Yeah. What does it mean to monitor comprehension and how can we help our students do that? Yeah, now that's that's the one I'm, I'm really quite interested in and pretty convinced that um, it's really important. So um, the monitoring of comprehension for me is really sort of flipping a switch that I'm going to ask myself pretty consistently, what's going on? Mm -hmm. What's happening? I'm not going to ask complex questions. I'm going to read and I'm going to say, now, how does that go with what happened before? So monitoring means I am awake to what I'm reading. I'm awake to what I'm learning. And... I'm aware when I'm confused. So if I'm monitoring, I kind of know if I'm putting the pieces together and I know if I'm not and I know what I'm missing. And I think a lot of students kind of just plow through text. They start at the beginning and they just start reading, but they don't really kind of engage that sort of meta level of what's happening. So I think monitoring uh, while you read is very important. I think, um, so we have six kids at home and I would say, you do. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, Good um, oh, thank you. So four of them are, I'd say two are bookworms. Um, two more are fine with reading. They like to read and two would rather not read. 
they can read, but it's not their favorite thing. And one of them is my second son. So he's 13 now, but I remember when he was reading at about 10 or 11 years old, he just, um, he would read a page and I would ask him about it and he just had no idea. Like, I think it just did not occur to him that the point of reading was to understand and not just read it because mom said you have to read right now. Yeah. Um, and so for him, I would stop and I, it was interesting. We had to stop like after every paragraph and talk about it. And I had to keep shrinking the amount of text that we stopped after. Like at first I tried a page and he couldn't do a page. So I was like, well, let's talk about this half a page. No, oh. he still couldn't. So we just had to keep breaking it down. And I think sometimes kids have to be you have to explicitly tell them the point of this is that you remember it. The point is not that you said the words, <laughs> that you're actually making sense. Um, well, but- I really like that because, you know, first of all, it's such a good example of how, what a really good teacher does, which is make a more difficult task easier. But I also like what you said because sometimes it really is telling students not a complex strategy, but that, hey, the idea here is that you're thinking and remembering this while you're reading. That's that's kind of what's up here, mm-hmm. you know? So um, I, th- I, th- I think that was a great example. Do you have any tips for teachers that are that have students like my son <laughs> at, at, that, yeah. at that time that they're just kind of getting the words out but not connecting to anything? Yeah. I mean, one of the things, because we see so much of that mm-hmm. and um, we've been kind of thinking about what you might be able to do about it, so one of the things we do, Anne, is we have the Anna, excuse me, we have one we have this set of practices called Does It Make Sense? DIMS. Yes. And Does It Make Sense starts simply and then gets more complex. So in its simple version, there are sentences that are disconnected and numbered that either have or do not have something that doesn't make sense. So it could be something like this. Um, Anna was on the podcast with a pickle that she used as a microphone. (laughs) So then we would say, does that make sense? And of course, if you were reading it silently to yourself, you would hopefully notice that the word pickle was not the right thing to say. And so you would underline that and um, then you would substitute another word. Mm -hmm. And so um, we start kind of simply, and students like this game because it gives Mm -hmm. them a purpose. Mm-hmm. And they like this game because they have to monitor what they're reading. It kind of gives them practice monitoring their reading. But we don't just say to them, monitor their reading. Mm-hmm. They're monitoring it because they're looking for something silly or, um, you know, uh, trying to sort of solve a problem. Mm-hmm. So exercises that kind of build up that skill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of um, whenever you read about how to help kids with comprehension, there usually it comes up questioning, teaching kids to ask and answer questions while reading. And yeah. that, I think that's definitely not a natural thing for kids to do. Yeah. Can you offer any suggestions for how to help kids learn that to, to make sense of what they read? I, I really do um, think that learning to ask questions is a good idea. I don't think you have to ask that many, Okay. but I do think learning how to do it is a good idea. And I think one of the ways to do that is, again, to give it purpose. So if you sort of have students working maybe in pairs and uh, reading different uh, sets of text, and you have them maybe with um, uh, index or cue cards, uh, writing a question on one side of the cue card and the answer on the other side, 
And then they use these cue cards to test students in the class. So they have a purpose for asking the question. And then they want to have the answer so that when students, when they ask the question, they'll know whether the student is right or not. There's sort of a motivation for what they're doing. So that's an example. But I, I think learning to ask and answer questions, not too many, and to do that you know, sort of deliberately so that you generalize it when you're reading independently is probably a good idea. So, I mean, I really like that idea too because that's a fun thing to do and it does give them a purpose versus just asking questions to yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What about summarizing? Um, I, I've heard some interesting ways of doing this. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Um, it's called shrink a paragraph. Have you heard of that? Paragraph, paragraph shrinking. shrinking. Uh, yeah. yeah. When, so where they have the kids say the, the who or what and then say what the most important thing about the who or what and then say that in a sentence in 10 words or less. And I've seen that work really well. Do you have any other ideas for helping kids with summarizing? Yeah. I mean, I do think that's a very good way to do it. And I think another key way to do it is that if you um, use some of the social uh, devices that students like so much. So you can say to someone, to students, like, let's read this paragraph. And what I want you to do is send a very brief text, <laughs> write a very brief text to your friend about what this was about. Okay. And it, it's not so important that it be a sentence mm -hmm. or that the grammar be perfect because what you're trying to do is see what they understand. Get the and gist. so if they write it, yes. And so if they write it like a text, you get more, and they're comf comf comfortable writing texts usually, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or at least will be soon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so then you get an idea if they get the main idea or not. Yeah, well, I think we got a lot done in about 25 minutes. Just a lot of really practical ways to help kids develop comprehension. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I think the most important thing to remember is that when students don't comprehend, you have summarized very nicely what the key reasons can be. They can be because they're not attending to the text. They can be because they're not remembering the text. They can be because they don't have background knowledge. They can be because they don't know what the words mean. And it also can be because they're not engaged or interested. And so if we remember there's a variety of reasons and we kind of think of the practices that might solve that reason, I think we'd make more progress. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. Is there any any of your work in particular that you like to direct people to? Mm. Oh, I have a new book coming out oh, good. with Guilford. And this book is uh, specifically about teaching reading comprehension. Oh, wonderful. Students with reading difficulties. Okay. And it's with Guilford Press, and it will be out, I think, in a month or two. Oh, fabulous. That's so exciting. Okay, I will keep an eye out for that. Thank um, you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, and I'm sorry it took us a while to get together, but I'm glad we eventually did it. No problem. Thanks so much. We did have to reschedule this interview about three times before we were finally able to make it work, and I'm so glad I was able to connect with Dr. Vaughn, and you can find the show notes for this episode at themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 131. Thank you for sticking with me through this old and new summer series. It's been a crazy busy summer at our house with all six kids home and then doctors, dentists, orthodontist appointments, not to mention summer camps and vacation. It's been a little crazy. So I'm looking forward to the back to school routine coming soon and a new podcast series, which will start next week. I'll see you then. 
That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching.